0: Hey everyone, welcome to a very special Thursday edition of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist Adam Roberts. My guest today is Jeremy Solomon, who's about to open a restaurant in New York. I've known Jeremy a long time. I met him years ago, maybe like 15 years ago when I was hosting a web show for the Food Network. And I interviewed him in Boca Raton, Florida, about his Food Network-themed bar mitzvah. And now he's an accomplished chef, and he's about to open this restaurant called Aggie's Counter in Brooklyn. And I thought it would be really fun to talk to him on the precipice of this opening to find out what it takes to open a restaurant. And so, without further ado, here is my talk with Jeremy Salomon. Well, Jeremy, um, as we were just saying before we hit record, you are in the middle of a crazy in your life, you're about to open a restaurant next week. How do you feel?
1: I am, yeah. I feel nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm excited. I'm. I don't know. I'm so many things. I've never experienced so many emotions in uh, in a day.
0: <laughs> well, I've known you a long time. I met you when you were were you 13 or 14. You had had a Food Network themed bar mitzvah, and I interviewed you. Yeah. And now this is all these years later. And so I think you know. If you can just like tell us quickly about the restaurant, and then we'll rewind the tape and go into the whole process. But so it's called—is it AG's or Agies or Aggies Counter?
1: Yeah. So actually, none of those. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Agies. It's okay. No, I, I knew it would come with the territory. Um, that people would probably uh, not know how to pronounce it. But that is totally fine. It's Agies. So Aggi's okay. is My mother. Um, she's my Hungarian grandmother um and the full name of the space is Aggie's counter um so wanted it to kind of be like her diner lunch lunch counter um sort of situation mm-hmm. um yeah so this has been in the works for quite some time i mean this has always been the dream so i mean like you said you've you've known me for a while i think like prepubescent.
0: <laughs> <Jeremy>.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, the kid with the with the bar mitzvah and but yeah, I stuck to it, which is uh, uh, I always I think about it a lot. So the fact that I'm, you know, it started started from the bottom now we're here. <laughs>
0: Well, so, okay. So for those of us, I'm going to title this episode, how to open a restaurant, because I think for a lot of people, myself included, just the idea of opening a restaurant is so daunting and confusing and just like the steps that you need to take. So can you rewind us back to the moment where you thought, okay, I want to open my own restaurant. And what did you have to do at the very beginning to make that happen?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I had really started considering it um, during my time at Eddy, where I was um, the executive chef of it, but it's a restaurant, or was a restaurant in the East Village uh, in Manhattan. Um, and yeah, I'd started really when I was doing, I was doing kind of like this Hungarian, Austro-Hungarian food there with this modern twist. And I started thinking to myself, well, this could be a great concept for a restaurant on its own, because I was making the food in the eddie space and the eddie was already an existing restaurant. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of these like two clashing ideas. So um, I really started to plan that. Um, The first steps, I don't know, I wish there was a book. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta write it
0: someday, yeah.
1: Um, I wish there was a manual that told you um, how to do everything, but I'm still figuring that out. the first step was to talk to somebody who had been through it. So I spoke to, um, the owner of the Eddie, uh, Jason Soloway, um, cause he had opened multiple restaurants before that. And, um, he was kind of like a father figure to me in many ways. So I, you know, was like, Hey, I want to open up my resta- my own restaurant. What do I do? And the first thing he said to me was like, do you have money? <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> right. That helps. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I, um, so what I started to do was to craft a, like a pro forma business plan, um, you know, do numbers, um, which I knew how to do, but also really didn't. Um, mm-hmm.
0: I, so. yeah, math is, it's funny. Cause like, that's such a huge part of the restaurant business is like, it's not just feeding people. It's like doing it in a way that's sustainable for the business. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like you want to make delicious food, but you also have to think, okay, if I spend this much on butter and this much on flour and this much on foie yeah. gras or whatever, you're going to start, you know, it's like, then I we have to charge this much. I mean, I could never do that. That's so hard.
1: Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's terrifying, actually, considering that I almost failed math in high school.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, you, you think math doesn't matter, but if you're listening to this and you're in high school... It does, I guess. Yeah. um, Well, I was going to say to you before you go further, I mean, I feel like there's a huge difference between opening a restaurant and opening a restaurant in New York City. Like, I feel like that's its own thing, too, because New York is so filled with restaurants and spaces and it's constantly turning over and so it's not just for you specifically it's not just an issue of opening a restaurant it's also like standing out and getting attention and having people notice you and i I have to say already you've done a great job i've seen you on eater i've seen you in lots of different things like preview fall previews but was that something was opening a restaurant in new york something specifically that you wanted to do or had you thought about opening somewhere else
1: Yeah, I had, um, I don't know, I I think I've always dreamt of opening up in New York, and there was really no other place I would do it um, until so my, my boyfriend, Michael, um, he got a job out in Los Angeles, uh, and still still based out there. So he so when Eddie closed, I went with him, because I wasn't quite sure where I was gonna get the finances for, Mm -hmm. for this restaurant. And I didn't know what was happening. So I moved to LA. Um, and I did consider opening up uh, Agi's out in LA, because mm-hmm. um, there also I mean, there's a huge Jewish Eastern European presence, surprisingly, um, especially a lot of really great like kind of new restaurants opening up with that grandma vibe. Um, so right. it actually made sense. Um, but I felt like my support group was here in New York. Um, and that was really um, the determining factor, um, not not the money at that point. It was more like I, I will get the most support in in New York City, um, which is strange uh, and also it's it's bizarre because it's so competitive here. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, just to consider opening up a business here in itself is just a, a real feat. I think of, of bravery because so many places close <laughs> so quickly and. Well, I think
0: you have, you have such a great um, starting point though, because I, I thought it was so interesting that what you said was the, that you were cooking Hungarian food at the Eddie and it was your grandmother's food. And so I think that narrative already like sets you apart because how many young new chefs are specifying in Hungarian cuisine in New York? Yeah. So that's... And especially if it's their grandmother. So, I mean, in terms of the title of this podcast, like how to start a restaurant, it feels like the first step is to find a niche that is specific to you, but also something that's not being filled by the culture that you're opening your restaurant in. Right.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think finding your story, I think that's really, right. important, um, because people believe it or not, I think people want a story, then they will listen. Um, and you know, somebody was recently asking me about this, um, and they're like, well, wh- you know, how do you feel about, like, new chefs in this wave of, like, this younger generation? I was like, well, I think it's really interesting because it's very personal. Like, everyone's story is very personal. Um, and and I think uh, customers or guests will will latch on to that.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about your grandmother and the food that she cooked and how you experienced it and then how you translated it for your restaurant?
1: Yeah. Um, well, my grandmother always cooked Hungarian. I mean, well... I should say American Hungarian, Uh, you know, she'd been influenced by so many different cultures and um, just when she fled Hungary and came here. So her vision of Hungary or Hungarian food kind of morphed um, over time. So, um, you know, I'd wind up eating goulash at the table or palacinta, which is like a Hungarian crepe and, you know, words that sound like you have peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. (laughs) Uh, And you know she would mash that with like macaroni and cheese and like steak diane and uh you know kind of right. all the like, parmesan and so it was kind of hidden underneath all these things and i never really thought much about it until i was maybe in uh when i was like uh eight, 17 18 um i went to the strand bookstore uh in in manhattan and i found a copy of the cuisine of hungary um, it was their only copy. It was written by George Lang, who was a Hungarian restaurateur uh, who passed his prime was like probably in the 80s or 90s. Anyways, mm-hmm. so um, and he had this whole history about Hungarian food that I had no idea about. So I asked my grandmother, like, what's the deal with this? Um, and so, yeah, she she was always a little stubborn to, to share her, her story with me. Um, and, and I think rightfully so, but um, it took a lot of, uh, you know, grandson tactics of <laughs> her, yeah. uh, into, um, giving me recipes and things like that. So, um, but yeah, because de- and I also think she was a little bit like, why, like, why are you, nobody cooks Hungarian food? And, and I think, well, I think that's kind of the point, right? Like, right. If you're doing it, why not kind of display it in a new way? Yeah.
0: I have some Hungarian roots. I think my great grandmother's family was from Hungary. So, but I have yeah. to say, I've never really, I've never even made goulash. So, I, I have a lot to catch up on. But I, when you said she fled Hungary, was that during World War II that she fled?
1: No. So she actually fled uh, in '56 uh, during the Russian Revolution. Um, Got so, it. Okay. Uh, during World War II, her family and her were put into um, a ghetto in in Budapest um and fortunately they survived and then they fled during uh, the revolution
0: so when you say you grew up eating her food was this in florida and boca raton where i'm from too <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah uh i feel like i've met a couple of, of people from boca raton recently here in new york oh, right. which is not uncommon, but <laughs> but yeah um i did um it's such a have Boca Raton just I always feel like it's the you know the the punt of a Jerry Seinfeld joke or something yeah so. oh
0: it is it is like a punchline <laughs> yeah but so she so she lived in Florida near you guys was she your mother's father or I'm sorry your mother's mother or your father's yeah mother?
1: Mm-hmm. yeah my father's mother mm-hmm.
0: father's mother and so she would come over and cook these meals or you go to her place and, and eat these meals
1: yeah. And I i mean, my parents used to also like when we were my brother and I, when we were little, they would drop us off at, you know, Grandma Agi. And I, my grandfather, uh, his name was uh, Steve or, or Pichu in Hungarian. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, Papa Steve, uh, we'd go and uh, they'd drop us off for the night and grandma would cook like schnitzel or which in Hungarian is called ranta It's fried chicken, no matter what yeah. you call it. Um, and she would have like uh, this uh, mashed cauliflower dish and palachinta and crepes so yeah but she also would like bring things over in casserole dishes to my mom my you know, our house and,
0: yeah now because you had a food network themed bar mitzvah I know that you're Jewish and so is yep. is there a specific um what's the word like sub subcategory of Hungarian food that's Jewish Hungarian food or like the food that you're cooking, is it is it colored by Jewish culture or is it mostly just in a broader sense Hungarian?
1: It's actually, it's a pretty interesting question. So Hungarian food does have like a subcategory of, of Jewish food. There's actually, it's a pretty heavy influence. Um, and there are very specific diff- uh, dishes. Like there's this one dish called, uh, I'm going to butcher the name. It's like Holent or Ch- cholent.
0: Yeah. I've seen that in cookbooks. Yeah. yeah. Which
1: is like Goose leg and beans. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's like served at a Renaissance fair. Uh, but, I think it's
0: in Jake Cohn's cookbook, his Jewish oh, yeah, cookbook. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, okay. so it's been modernized, but I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. So um, like that's a very specific, you know, uh, Jewish Hungarian dish. But um, at Aggie's counter, we're doing more of a, it's like a mash of Hungari- Austro Hungarian and then like Jewish American. You know, mm-hmm. kind of like the Jewish American deli diner mashed with the Austro-Hungarian. It's it's very um it's very new.
0: <laughs> so when you so and and by the way, like I feel like this is all really interesting in terms of our like larger title of our podcast, because as much as this is about opening a restaurant, I think what this is revealing is how much thought and care you've put into like the actual story and the food that you're making so this is not too much of a departure but i'm curious like in terms of adding chefly finesse or chefy finesse to this food mm-hmm. can you give us an example of like how you adapted a dish from your childhood into something now that you know could be photographed and put on eater when it opens
1: <laughs> yeah well that's exactly what happened uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, um we so it, the palachinta, uh which is the Hungarian crepes uh, my grandmother used to just uh would make them they're they're made with um seltzer so they're kind of like fluffy and eggy um and then grandma would like stuff them with uh, uh apricot jam and cinnamon and and some sour cream um, yeah, really
0: almost like Blintzes, right yeah
1: exactly yeah exactly so my riff on it is more of a a blend, so it's the crepe, and then we're rolling it up with um, this really lovely ricotta and farmer's cheese uh, that's sweetened, um, and then it gets drowned in a caraway brown butter, um, mm. and served with a vanilla bean pear jam and a riesling poached pear. Um, wow, that sounds so, so like good. <laughs> the chefy version of it. <laughs>
0: That's so delicious. It's funny how like little words too, like, like Riesling and caraway, like it just makes it sound so like amazing. Sort of, like the, lang- the language yeah the wow. language of it yeah. is part of that. So, okay. So you have this vision, you have a sense of what you want to do. And then when you talked about the money, so let's, so let's say, so I, did you do a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe? I'm trying to remember how you yeah. did it. Yeah.
1: I did a Kickstarter, um, which we launched in October of, last year um which seems like uh, forever ago now but um yeah i decided i was struggling a little bit with the finances and uh to say the least and i just decided well the money's got to come from somewhere so let's start with the kickstarter and to be honest you know a kickstarter it's it's hard to launch a restaurant on on that platform because it's not a tangible item that's readily available like globally once it's mm-hmm. funded you know, it's very specific very niche it's in a not geographically convenient for everybody so i wasn't really planning on actually you know i mean that's kind of sad to say but i the odds were the people i've spoken to kept saying the odds are against you like it'd be really hard to fund it so um yeah so i was thinking well the exposure is going to be really great and maybe that will attract investors um and you know we'll just push and do our best and try and get funded, and we did. <laughs> so, oh, that's great! Yeah, which was a complete shock and a very emotional surprise. Um, but yeah, we we got the sixty-five thousand. Um, we actually is that all you
0: needed to open a restaurant? A sixty-five thousand
1: dollars? <laughs> Definitely not. No, uh, <laughs> but the sixty-five was enough for us to sign a lease um, and pay, you know, first months. Uh, first or second month's rent and and get through all the legal process of that so um so it did help for sure um and did you have to
0: promise the people who gave money like something like a free meal or like a t-shirt or something like that
1: incentives for um uh in exchange for the backing so um which i'm still working my way through while opening up the restaurant um but Uh is that I attached a lot of the incentives to the restaurant. So now that people, you know, if they're coming to visit New York or they live here, they can come pick it up via, we're putting like, it's like a like a gift card almost. So they can get mm-hmm. like a free meal here, things like that.
0: That's great. So, okay. So you you paid the first month's rent, you found the space and it's in Brooklyn, right?
1: It's in Brooklyn. Yeah. We're in Crown Heights. Um, we're actually, we're in a space where I did my very first pop-up. It's called uh, Butter and Scotch. Um, okay. Well, that's what the space was before, which was like a, a boozy bakery. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, I did my very first pop up here a long time ago. Um, and we saw the space back in the winter time, and then um, we weren't sure about it. We came back; the price, the rent had dropped, which worked <laughs> okay. in our favor, and uh, and we wound up taking it. So uh, now we're here.
0: And how did, how did <clears throat> excuse me? How did the pandemic? um interrupt or affect your plans to open a restaurant. Did it did it change your, the course of things for you or did it not change too much?
1: I think it was because of the pandemic that I opened the restaurant. <laughs> really? So, how, how's yeah. that how was that? Yeah. Well I mean I was working in LA um, at a really great restaurant called Essay. Um, oh yeah. I, yeah I came I was, in
0: there. I think you were there the night I came in but you maybe you were working. Yeah it mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, was delicious. Yeah,
1: so, I was the sous chef there, and shout out to them because they're so they're terrific, and they survived, and the, they're just amazing people. Um, you have a
0: thing for restaurants that are difficult to pronounce. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> I don't know why, uh, but um, yeah. So they, so I was, I was with them, but because of the pandemic, I have been laid off from work, and um, I'm just a busy, you know, busy body. I just I can't sit still, and um, I just finally said, you know, I'm I'm ready. I, I want to work for myself. I, I want to time that i that i do this um and so yeah the the pandemic kind of pushed me into into it
0: so okay so now you're in new york you go back you have this money from your kickstarter you found the space you got that secured so then what are the other things you have to do i mean i mean it seems like there's so much to do so like where do you even begin
1: yeah um oh god uh well (laughs) it was what was great is that the um Kickstarter did attract some investors, so we were able to get some money um, and some funds rolling in, Um, but it came in like waves, uh, which is always, which isn't really reassuring when you're trying to open up a business because you're like, well, I can go this far now with this much money, but now I got to kind of plateau and stop and wait for more money to come in, and so Mm -hmm. um, it's a big, it's it's a mind game for sure, so... um, But we, the first thing to do was to uh, establish the business and, um, you know, get our uh, uh, DBA and LLC and, you know, all those.
0: (laughs) What's a DBA? (laughs)
1: Uh, Doing business as. So I know that
0: Yeah. You probably also (laughs) had to get, like, do you have to get a liquor license and all that kind of stuff? Yeah.
1: And we're still waiting for our liquor license. Well, we're getting a beer and wine license. Uh, Liquor license would have been very expensive. Um, a beer and wine license is a little less expensive, but the wait time is still just as long. So some, some folks are applied that we spoke to, uh, applied for their beer and wine license back in of like last spring and are wow. just getting now. So, and
0: you're just open for breakfast and lunch right now, or you're, you're going to be just open for breakfast and lunch, but do you ultimately want to open for dinner too?
1: Yeah. 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 So we're hoping, uh, as soon as we get that, uh, beer and wine license, uh, which will be in the, first part of next year we'll open up for dinner
0: and so when you had these investors did they want to see proof of concept like did they ask you to cook the food for the restaurant so they could taste it and say see what they thought
1: so some of them had actually already had eaten my food at the eddy and, and uh wallflower so it was kind of a great like they, they already knew and were fans of my food which was was uh i, I was very lucky in, uh, uh-huh. in that way. um but uh, no, I, I never had to cook or not yet. <laughs> so <laughs> right. um, I think I was able to sell it and it was uh, un- unique enough where where people were like, oh, this this is going to be really good.
0: Well, I don't want to torture you and make you go through every step of the process, but there are some categories that I'm very curious about, including um, design design. And then yeah. also like hiring people to work there, which I'm sure is its own thing too. So let's start with the design because behind Jeremy right now, in case you're not vis- visually watching this, which you're probably not, cause this is a podcast is this really cool wallpaper. So can you tell us about the design of the restaurant and then how that all came about?
1: Yeah. So this, well, this wallpaper is called strawberry thief. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't, I can't take the credit for it. I didn't pick it out. We had a, we, we have an amazing designer. His name is Michael Groth. Um, and he designed the eddie and we became friends so he was the first person uh, first person i reached out to um to design the restaurant um because i knew he could bring something uh he could do something really cool uh especially for what i told him um which was and i want to design a restaurant that feels like a place my grandmother would have eaten at in her 20s or 30s and is mashed with a diner but it's upscale and Mm -hmm. and like okay great
0: (laughs) (laughs) well that's great because it's so specific it's like okay it's not not like I want it to be modern but you know it's like very very specific so that's great
1: yeah and uh, I mean I did have a few like you know non-negotiables I was like I need paneling I was like I don't know why but I love paneling and he was like okay great so (laughs) that made it into it and a wallpapered room which we uh, wind up, wind up having. And
0: what do you um, mean paneling? What do you, what did you mean by paneling?
1: Yeah. So there's this like, um, wood, uh, like wood slats that are called tongue and groove and they kind of fit into each other, um, and create this, like, it's very homey. It's almost like a very warm feeling. So, um, yeah, and, and the design was also inspired by Elonka, this, this woman, uh, Ilonka Karachas, I think that's how you pronounce her last name, but she was a Hungarian, a female Hungarian graphic designer in like mm-hmm. the 40s, and she designed a lot of uh, covers for the New Yorker. Um, cool. She had a very specific style, and she would make also like her own furniture, so a lot of the, like our shelving, and our bars, all riffs on her design.
0: this is all very inspiring because again like this is so specific like I feel like the specificity of everything makes it so much easier it's like I think it would be so much harder to open a general restaurant where you're just like I just want to cook good food it's like no there's specificity and that helps you with the design it helps you with the menu it helps you with everything so okay the, the next question then is like I guess hiring people because you have your vision as a chef but then of course it's like now you have to have people in the kitchen replicating or sort of fulfilling your vision. So is that, how did that go? And was that difficult?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I got really lucky with hiring, um, which uh, I know not a lot of other chefs and business owners uh, are are, uh, experiencing right now. So um, I was able, my first hire was uh, our pastry chef, Renee, who is a a former colleague and a friend of mine. Uh, We worked at uh, this restaurant called La Conda Verde. um, Uh Uh-huh. Rebecca um, and she is a very gifted pastry chef. so um, she was my first phone call and I was like, hey, I'm gonna do this thing and she knows she didn't know anything about Eastern European cuisine at the time. Um, and she was like, well, great, I can do this but you're gonna have to like w- walk me through it. So um, she did her research and uh, we have a very solid, very exciting pastry menu. Um, and then I brought on a sous chef who was one of my cooks at the Eddie. Um, so that was, uh, the timing of that situation was really great. Um, and then we got very lucky with, um, our front of the house team. I have a really terrific manager. Um, and we just hired two, um, two waiter baristas. It's like a hybrid position. Um, so. Uh, but what I found to be uh, kind of new was, is that um, people are applying for jobs via Instagram. Oh, <laughs> so, really? Yeah, I actually, I put up, um, uh, I put up a, a job ad on on a website called Culinary Agents and received like zero <laughs> resumes, but got a lot of resumes from um from instagram in, in my dms <laughs> so, that's
0: amazing well that's great that you're able yeah, to do that so welcome to
1: 2021 you know
0: <laughs> so now what day next week does this open
1: yeah so we're opening up on monday um uh, monday november wow. 8th at 7 a.m uh and we will close our opening hours will be till uh from seven to three and then we'll extend to five p.m
0: and so week. how many seats are at the counter
1: yeah so it's a total of i'm actually looking at it right now i think it's a <laughs> lot it's 11 11 seats at the counter and then there's a <laughs> whole back area um which i'm in right now and that seats about two three four five six seven eight eight people okay people. yeah so uh, <laughs> total it's like i don't know if i did the math right but it's like 25 plus we're putting in like a standing room at the front windows so there's yeah there's, there's still more seats to be, to be put in.
0: So, okay. So Monday morning, 7am, the door is open. Your first customer walks in and like, is your hope that they'll sit down and say, give me those Palachinka? Like, I mean, what, what's your, what's your vision for how that day is going to unfold? Like, how would you like it to unfold?
1: Um, yeah, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, cry. <laughs> Listen to some really sentimental, emotional music. Through this yeah. Years. Uh, yeah, no, but, um, the customers will come in, they can order at the front counter. They can have uh, their coffee or pastry or lunch breakfast to go, or they can have it to stay. And if, they're, if they want to stay, they have to uh, provide proof of vaccination. Um, Got it. And then they can sit with, uh, they get a number and then we service you. And that's kind of, that was really important to me when opening this because I wanted to have that fast, casual um, foundation, but I wanted to give you the next level of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially, I'm a dinner nighttime New York City chef. So when you sit down and you have this number, the waiter will come over and give you a glass of water with the bottle and rolled up napkins and silverware. Love that. We'll check in on you periodically, just like at a normal regular restaurant and we'll bust your table for you. And so it's not just like one and done and bye. Mm you know, we're, we're taking those extra service steps, uh, to, because you're at grandma's house, right? So,
0: yeah, no, that's great. So when you, if you want to order one of your more like plated dishes, you order that at the front when you check, when you walk in and then you sit down with your number and get it that way.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so and
0: and I, I, oh, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Finish what you're everything,
1: everything is available. So any, anything on the menu can be taken to go and anything can be to stay.
0: And is it the same menu breakfast and lunch? Like, does it change at a certain hour or is it always always, everything is available all day?
1: Yeah. So coffee and pastries are available all day or until we sell out of pastries Uh, and breakfast items. We have two breakfast sandwiches, uh, which are offered from 7 to 11 and then 11 o'clock the full lunch menu kicks in.
0: And do you have like people in the neighborhood who've been like poking their heads in? Like, what is this place? And when are you oh opening? Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: it's once we took down the paper on the front windows, we've just, I mean, it's we had folks before that, but just people knocking on the window, giving us thumbs up, uh, <laughs> people telling us how excited they are. So the community has been um, really great.
0: That's so exciting. So is there a specific dish that you're hoping somebody orders that first day so you get to fire it and like present it?
1: Yeah, um all of them? No. Uh <laughs> we, let's see. I mean I really love the pogacha. So the pogacha that's biscuit in Hungarian. Um and our biscuits are filled with um uh an alpine cheddar cheese and mm. dill. And they're like what distinguishes pogacha from like a normal American biscuit is that they're very flaky. They're, they have a lot of layers to them. And we're adding a fried egg and like a mile high pound, uh, a mile high stack of uh, grated alpine cheese on it and mayo. And it's like this bodega, you know, New York City bodega, you know, uh, egg sandwich. Um, And it is insane. It's so good. Uh, Renee did a terrific job at making these biscuits. So uh, that I'm really excited for
0: So if you're listening to this and you live in New York, I think you need to go to Aggie's counter on Monday and order the pagacha and tell Jeremy I sent you. That's so exciting. Well, um, did we cover everything? Is there anything else about opening a restaurant that we didn't mention?
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, a lot. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like, like what did I forget? I mean, just out of curiosity, like, is there anything that's like the big?
1: Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, insurance, I'm still wrapping my head around. Um, Yeah. Thank God I... I have so my boyfriend Michael is has been very supportive through all this uh, and he so he works in the film industry so he was able there's a lot of crossovers because he works in the production aspect um, so he was like oh yeah I know insurance like we'll do this <laughs> together and so that was very helpful um, but I'm every day I'm learning something completely new so it is uh, both challenging and also enlightening
0: And coming from Boca Raton, I feel like you must be ready to deal with difficult customers.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, (laughs) I'm fully equipped for this. I actually, one of uh, our new hires, um, uh, this young lady who's going to be our uh, server, uh, turns out that she's from Boca Raton Florida too, (laughs) and she was like, Oh, she's like, I can totally deal with cranky customers. Like yeah. now that I'm like sold, you're hired. <laughs> so. yeah,
0: that, that's a good training round. It's like people who send, who send things back by default. Like, I don't think I have relatives who've never like accepted the first dish that comes out of the kitchen. So you're ready. You're fully preparing.
1: Yeah. And my, my, unfortunately, Aggie um, can't make it up here. She's just gotten to a point where it's a little hard for her to travel. Um, oh, so she's well, still
0: around. I didn't realize that she was still alive.
1: 94 and kicking um, that's amazing but, uh, maybe maybe not kicking as much but uh right. but definitely um she's she's opinionated and uh she makes me laugh and uh but yeah she's she's doing good um but my other grandmother um arlene she'll be flying up here this weekend uh to see the space and uh, <laughs> i'm sure she'll have a lot of uh, critiques <laughs> not are,
0: are you your parents coming too to the opening
1: yeah. Yeah. We're doing a, a little like, get together on Saturday night. So, uh-huh. uh, just in the space and, um, yeah. Um, I don't know to have my, all my, like my family under one roof. It's been a long time. <laughs> so, wow. Um, and I'm like, now you're in my home. So, uh, but yeah, it should, it should be fun.
0: Well, try to enjoy it as much as it's stressful. It feels like this is such an exciting period for you. And I feel like it's the beginning of a huge career for you. So cool. mazeltov as they say in the, yes homeland and uh i can't wait to come to new york and eat at aggie's counter so yeah. thank you so much for talking and well, uh
1: you, Adam. yeah i can't wait to have you here yeah we'll have to uh we'll have a we'll have to do like a, a Boca a Boca at home <laughs> get together menu. Sort of, oh
0: like a tasting together. menu like from dishes from houston's Boca. yeah <laughs> honestly
1: i'm i've been craving houston's and they all they call it hillstone here yeah. so I didn't know that. Um but man, I'm craving a martini and a uh, <laughs> about now. So, yeah.
0: Well, maybe you should go treat yourself to one tonight. Um mm-hmm. all right, Jeremy, thanks for talking and good luck with everything. Thanks so much, Adam. All right. Bye.